Tamara Wilder teaches people the paleo technologies that help distinguish us as human beings. She has been an instructor and innovator for the last 30 years, bringing real life skills to people of all ages. I'm a huge fangirl for all the arts and crafts of yore, and Tamara has made it her life's work to share this knowledge with as many people as possible. For years, a friend and I affectionately nicknamed her Bucky because she was so often clad in buckskin that she had tanned and sewn herself. She taught me many years ago that each creature has just the right amount of brains to tan its own hide, and I've been marveling over that bit of trivia ever since. Whenever I have a question about some ancestral living skill, I give Tamara Wilder a call, because I know that she will either know the answer directly or be able to point me in the right direction. Last summer, a rattlesnake died in my garden, and I immediately called her to talk about the safest method of processing the snake to honor its life. Over the years, Tamara and I have happily run into each other at different events across the West Coast, enjoying each other's company every time we get the chance. I always make a point to stop by her amazing paleo technology booth if I know she'll be at a fair or festival. And I fondly recall a time when she came by Copperfield's Books in Sebastopol to support the inception of my author career when I was signing copies of my debut novel, Wildfire Weeds. When I went to Tamara's place to record this podcast in the rolling hills of Northern California, her partner Django greeted me and walked me over to their kitchen. Shortly thereafter, Tamara emerged from their garden bearing carrots and sunchokes that she proceeded to chop up for a soup while we chatted, catching up about our lives. We discussed possible hiking adventures at her place or near mine and, and enjoyed a beautiful day of sunshine while we conducted the interview. I hope you'll enjoy learning about paleotechnics with Tamara Wilder. We are ancient, we are now, we are remembering.
I'm Maureen Natura, and you're listening to The Positive Fantastic. My guest today is Tamara Wilder. Welcome. Hi, Maureen. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yeah. We've known each other for a really long time. It's hard to pinpoint exactly where we met. I think we were just kind of in the same social circles, and um, we definitely bonded at Symposium. Absolutely, but we'd already known each other for many years before then. Yeah, I think we were, you know, like we were in the permaculture community, and we were, you know, we'd go to scion exchanges, and we had different overlapping events. There's the Not So Simple Fair for years, and I don't know exactly where it was, but I know that we definitely connected. And then over Symposium, we started to drop in more and more. And then I'd see you everywhere. It seemed like for a while, I was like, I'd go up to the country fair, and you were in the paleotechnics area there, and you get around. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And we, we tend to go to a lot of similar things and have a lot of similar interests. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like we definitely dropped in at more even, we dropped in at symposium, but then when I was RTFing, that was when we really solidly dropped in. We, we were both working time. crew. Yeah. yeah. We were both working crew. That's so it's a like a week, yeah. a week of intensive bonding. Yes. <laughs> actually this really amazing expert, as it were. You're a resource of paleotechnology. And for the listeners that don't yet know what paleotechnology is, can you give us a little bit of an understanding? Sure, sure. My, my company name is Paleotechnics, and that literally means ancient arts and technologies. And we came across that in an old Putnam's word book, trying to figure out how to describe what we were doing. You know, a lot of people use ancestral living skills. A lot of people use primitive technology. A lot of you people use survival skills in sort of describing what I do and analogous terms and, and a lot of different terms for describing yeah. different things, ancient living skills ways. And the word paleo means ancient and techniques is arts and technologies. And it it really describes the whole thing. So what I do is I give people a basis of the introductions to the basics of the roots of the tree of technology that pretty much holds up everything we do in our modern world. So as, as modern humans, we depend on technology in every aspect of our lives. It's, mm-hmm. we, we really can't exist without it. And it's even not as modern humans. As humans, we depend on technology. Mm-hmm. Like we are not born with claws and teeth and fur. So we have to make the things that we need in order to, to live. Absolutely. And we've been that way for millions of years. And so... It's um, what distinguishes us as a species, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's the thing that, that makes us different from the rest of the creatures that live on this earth. Yeah. That is why technology is so intrinsic to our existence. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think modern technology is just this modern thing. But we've been technological beings since, from, like I said, several million years. The technologies weren't as prevalent back then, but they still were the core things. Without being able to cut something, you have to be able to have a cutting edge. You know, you mm-hmm. have to be able to use fibers to tie things together. You have to be able to tan make clothing. clothing. You have yeah. to be able to use animal skins. You have to be able to make hunting tools. You have to be able to use fire as a tool. Like we're the only creature on the earth that uses fire as a tool. Right. And it is the thing that makes us human. Other animals, there's other animals that use small tools, cutting edges. You know, there are other animals that use technology to different degrees. To get termites and yeah, things. sticks, broken, <laughs> broken stones. Like there are other yeah. animals that use things as tools. We're not the only creatures that use things as tools, but we're the only creature that uses fire. And we're the only creature that takes our tools to the degree of development that we have. We expand the technology. We expand the technology. And that's yeah. this, this, this tree that's been growing for the last several million years. And the thing that allows us to do it is that our hands can manipulate our environment more than any other, any other creature's hands can. Right. And we have this brain that comes up with all these ideas 
to a, a degree that those two, our, our brain and our hands, our mind and our hands, are the two tools that we depend on as our, as a species in order to exist. And so that's what I'm doing in my, my teaching and in my programs is, is introducing people to those concepts of what are the, the core oldest technologies, the roots of the tree of technology. Um, and it's, it's really fun because you're going back into your personal past. You're going back into your personal lineages, you know, like all this genetic memory stuff. And it just, okay. it sort of lights you up. It's, it's, you know, it's a really easy topic to teach because everybody taps into it and it's like, cause there it is, it's, it's in us. Mm-hmm. So you introduce somebody to these concepts and they're like, Oh wow, this is pretty cool. And, and, and they, you get excited about it. And so just even, I don't, it's not that I'm lecturing about all these concepts when I'm teaching, I, you know, when I do adult programs, but the core of what I do is school programs with kids. When I'm doing teaching these skills, the way I teach these skills to young kids at, you know, third through sixth grade, is I give them a stick that has a cutting edge on the end and I give them a stone and I, yeah. I tell them how to drill a hole in the stone with a stick and they're using their hands and doing this ancient motion and they are making something. And that's just the beginning of all of that. And they're using a lot of the old technologies in that practice, in that project. Absolutely. When my son was, I want to say he was like four years old, I... I remember you had this summer camp and um, I learned that you were doing these different projects with kids. And so I think when he got a little bit older, I had you come and do a friction fire workshop at my house and we had different friends come and there were kids because I was a homeschooling parent. We had always had kids around, it seems, but there were also a bunch of adults and all the adults are really excited about the friction fire too. And then when Osiris got a little bit older, I also had him go to your summer camp and do a lot of the games and stuff. So you have this really amazing curriculum that you've created. Can you share about what that looks like and and what that brings forth in in people? The main project that I talked about a little bit ago is I give the participants a drill and I give them a small piece of soapstone that's a a square of soapstone that's a, a very soft stone that's quick and easy to work. And I teach them how to drill, spin the drill between their hands. And in doing that, they are making a beautiful stone bead, but they are also practicing for the motion of hand or fire making. And so in the program, that's one of the things that I learned a long time ago when I was first developing the program, is that especially with working with third to sixth graders, friction fire making, hand drill friction fire making is a difficult skill. Right. It's something that you don't want to be like, oh, here, you're going to make a fire. It's not something that I'm expecting them to succeed at. But it does happen sometimes, and sometimes they pick it up, and especially if they can yeah. learn how to cooperate as a group yes. and work together in like four or five of them together, it really is possible for fifth and sixth graders to make fire, which blows many people away to learn that. But a friction fire. Friction fire, right. yes. They don't have a me- mechanical drill that's sparking or anything. It's like they're using the power of their hands, and they're using like a long wooden dowel, essentially. Yes, and they're spinning it, and they're focusing, and it takes. it's a really great practice, and it's a really great practice in cooperation. Yeah. And it's a really, it's an amazing thing. And so these that's the program I've developed over all these years is basically the basic, like some very, very basic foundational skills using some a drill to drill a hole in something, using an abrasive to saw, so to shape something into what you want to create it, using a polishing agent, using an oiling agent, using um, a stored energy to twist fibers together into string, you know, using all of these kinds of things, and then evolution of hunting technology. But it's all basic, basic, really basic things. But over the years of putting it together into a program for youth, for young people, I've been drawing in 
all these aspects of science because it's all science-based. And so totally. that's one of the reasons why the schools like it so much is that it's exploring science. It's a science exploration. It's exploring Tactily. history. It's a lot of hands-on experiential stuff, but the, there's so many things that are now involved in the program. There's cooperation. There's tons of science, tons of using your hands to make things. There's a lot of creativity. There's individuality. Mm. There's specialization. And so it, it really like it brings in all of these things. And so that's the program that that I've developed is a one-day program in the schools. And essentially, it consists of four different stations that each of them has sort of two topics going on at the same time. Because one of the things that I've learned is that you, I always want to challenge the people in the program to be able to, to, to do something that's maybe they think is a little unattainable. But at the same time, in order to do that with a group of youth, you always have to have something that's super easy that they can just drop into with no direction and also. With no help also. Yeah. And so that's what I do is the, the stone soapstone bead making is happening while the fire kits are there. And, and once they've made a soapstone bead, they're training their body to be able to do the drilling motion. And then they can go and try the fire making. And if they're a group that has people that are really drawn to it, they may get three or four of them together and focus on the fire making and then with some help, like be able to actually do it. But the majority of the group is just making soapstone beads and they're totally content doing that. So happy. And then I'm... when, yeah. And when they, and when they see, and it's adult or child, like yeah. adult or youth and, and um, everybody loves it. It's, it brings out the kid of all, I call it the, 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 um, the soapstone bead making is for the kid of all ages, like the kid and everybody, you know, it's, it, totally. it's really fun stuff and it drops any, and even kindergartners get dropped into it. Yeah. So as soon as they figure out they can do it, it's something that, and you want to do it more, you want to do another one. And yes. so you get to do it over and over and, and then you've got your base and then you're getting creative. Then you get to each take that stone and make it into whatever you want and make a beautiful necklace that you get to take home with you. And so it's all around this tactile experience of creating a necklace basically. And then they, there's different kinds of, of there's, there's nut beads that get included and wooden beads that get included, which are different sort of working methods. And then we get together as a group and we make a rope. So that's taking the string making. We make mm -hmm. the string out of twine. And then I show them how to get the fiber off of a stick. And then we make the string out of twine. And then I, as a group, we make twine into a rope as well. And that becomes the class or group jump rope. So it's it's very it's it's really fun stuff. And then there's the evolution of hunting technologies because three of the stations are very well. Two of the stations are very sedentary, and they're sitting and crafting and very focused. And then the rope making is more active. And then and then while they're doing rope making, they're also doing games like catch games and dice games. And then there's also the evolution of hunting technology. So they're going out in a field and running around and getting their their blood pumping and and throwing sticks at boxes, throwing a thing called a rabbit stick. They're throwing um, hand spears or sticks, long skinny sticks at hoops and playing hoop and pole game. They are. I remember that one was really fun because you have a couple of people throwing, you know, like spinning the hoops out. And so you're moving a moving target. You're aiming for a moving target. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's so fun. It's it's really fun. And, and, and it's a group activity. So there's totally. a lot of cooperation in all of this. Yeah. The rope making is for sure a massive cooperative yeah. project. And, you know, there's spinning happening on all sides and everybody's changing and they're, they're controlling angles with geometry. And so it's, it's, but it's really fun. They're, they're getting active and they're learning a ton while they're just running around doing these really fun things. And, um, they're so, learning so much. I remember the first times that I assisted you because I was, I was excited to learn more just by being kind of, you know, through osmosis and like you referenced the, the bead making and you have, instead of having sandpaper, which is, you know, a modern invention if modern technology, you had, um, equisetum, you know, horsetail, and that was your, your sanding edge. And I was just like, what? what? Like, here's this plant that I have this super intense relationship with. And I know so well in my mind, but I hadn't had that point of reference for. Mm -hmm. And then it just like each thing, even making your own string. I mean, I think a lot of people that approach, 
a program don't really know what they don't know until they are in it and are starting to be like, oh, you, you know, humans made string, you know, like, why do I not know how to make string? Right. How, yes. how has cordage never been a part of my life? How before? have I made it through my whole life and never learned how to twist fiber into string? Right. Yes. And yeah. as an adult, it's a little shocking. It's like, mm-hmm. these are, you know, like you said, connected to our entire ancestral lineage from the beginning of time. <laughs> and even, even two or three generations ago, you could probably say like at least by three or four generations ago, um, the majority of humans on this planet used to know how to make pieces of string. Right. It's really a recent thing that's been lost. It's only with mechanization and with, yes. you know, like being able to go to the hardware store and buy your string. Everybody used to know how to twist string. It's called twizzling. Some people don't even realize that that's what it is or cordage making, but there's a lot, but that, and people do it with spinning wheels and people do it, you know, it's, it's something that is, it's just there. And it's, it actually is a phenomenon of binding energy. And it's so critical and essential yeah but if we don't know how to control it it can be really um unattainable for people if Mm -hmm. they if they it's such a simple thing once you get the concepts but it's a lot of science it's a lot it's bound energy it's tension it's angles it's geometry and if you understand how to control the flow of energy properly you make a beautiful piece of string if you don't you get a tangled mess and you have no idea what's going on and you're really frustrated (laughs) right and so um yeah it's 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 fun stuff and that's how i end the program every time is I say, you just learned something in making your string that probably most of your parents don't even know how to do. Right. So, you know, and we're doing a, a group way of making string that's an introductory way, and there's way more advanced ways of doing it, but it's the beginning of the concept of how to do it. And I show them some of the more advanced ways that they can experiment with. And um, but I tell them to go home and try to make string with their parents or make string with their siblings or their friends because, you know, it's an important thing. And it is something I'll tell them, like, this is the skill that you probably will need sometime in your life. Yeah. Even if it's just that you're wanting to tie your hair together with a ribbon and it's too weak and it breaks, you just if once you know how to do this, you can fold it over and make it infinitely stronger than it was when you started. Right. Um, even if it's just that you need to tie something together, you know, even if it's my nephews and I had to tie a, a badminton net up once when we were wanting to or no, not badminton. We were wanting to play ping, play ping pong uh-huh. and the net was broken. It had the string had broken and right. it wasn't tied to the posts. And we had to figure out how to make string to be able to play ping pong. So. You know, there's there's modern applications, there's modern applications for this ancient technology. These, yes. and, and I tell them, like, this is the one you're going to need. And so yeah. that's and that is actually my whatever you could call it, my my underlying goal in the program. And that's actually how I developed the program in the first place. It's like the keystone is I was invited by a teacher who had taken my string making class. And she said she called me. She said, I want you to teach all of my sixth graders, my 36 graders how to make a piece of string. And that was what the entire program developed out. And that's actually mm-hmm. what I'm doing at the program is I'm helping each student make a piece of string. Mm-hmm. And then all of this other stuff is going on around it. But that is the core of mm-hmm. the whole thing. Awesome. I understand why it's super compelling to learn these skills. And I understand why you brought them forth to share with the youth and the adults actually of our of our modern world but how did you personally get hooked onto paleo technologies oh it was pretty much by chance i i was going to school at uc santa cruz so i am from los angeles Banana slugs. yes <laughs> i was um i was housed a porter and going to i was in college eight before it was built so uh-huh. we had a tiny little little um sort of classroom center but we were we were housed at porter college and um 
I was going to school there. I'd left Santa, I'd left LA because I wanted to be coming north. I'd realized that I did not want to be in LA anymore, that I wanted to go north and be more in nature. And I was definitely attracted to being out in the woods. And I loved being there. And the it's the most gorgeous campus ever. It is the I'm best a, campus, yeah. UCSC alumni yeah. as well. Oh, which which I did not realize that. Well, I transferred in, so I started at I guess I was technically at Merrill. Okay. But I lived in a a quarry that they turned into a housing development. <laughs> Where was that? It was behind. It was down by the farm and um, kind of at the base of campus and by the botanical gardens. Oh, I know exactly where that is. And yeah. I could walk up this huge, like, rolling meadow of oak trees to the music department where I had my beginning, my first class of the day. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was up at there. Okay. Yeah. And then I lived off campus in various places. And I lived in the woods, actually, in the upper campus, too, for a while. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that that was where I, that's how, sort of how I got into this was through a camp in the woods up there. Oh, nice. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, and then I, after I moved off campus, I lived on High Street. Like Me at too. The, I was at the High Street house, the one where, you know, when the bus would go down High Street and it had to make that right-hand turn? Mm. You know, that big student house right mm -hmm. there? I lived in that one. My second oh, year. Nice. So. Oh, no, I didn't live on high. I lived on, on Laurel. Okay. I lived on Laurel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of those ones going up yeah. campus. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, super fun. And I loved going to UC Santa Cruz. And I that was where I met my um, then partner, Stephen, at home. And he had just been exposed. He, he had a camp up behind UC Santa Cruz and would park his bike at my college at Porter. Uh -huh. and, and that was where, you know, we sort of, he, apparently he had seen me and, and wanted to meet me. And so... Um, but then we didn't meet until later when I was living in town, but we did finally meet a year later and he had just gotten introduced into these skills events and had gone to a place called Glass Butte for a flint napping gathering. Hmm. And so when we, after, soon after we met, the next one was happening and he took me to my, my first event, which was the Glass Butte Flint, Glass Butte's napping in March in Eastern Oregon, which is, it's, it's a fairly crazy time to be out there the temperature can go from really high to really low in the course of an hour you know mm -hmm. so you have to be prepared for a lot of extremes and it's in the great basin so it's amazing but there's tons of flint napping going on there's tons of people doing events and it was a very unscheduled unorganized gathering that was pretty much just people showed up the organizer what he did is he sent out a mailing letting you know when it would happen and he, he provided toilets and other than that it was just you're on your own. You're on your own. Pretty yeah. much everything happened. But, the, you know, people would get together for meals. And it was very social, but we were camped in this big valley. And I did that for years, actually, until um, the organizer of that passed recently and stopped doing it several years ago. But mm. um, that was Jim Riggs, who's one of my main mentors and, and inspirations. And mm -hmm. that was such a great event. And in order to go there, we didn't have a car, so we rode our bicycles up to Berkeley and took well, up over the hill and then took buses over to Berkeley to get a ride to Glass Butte with um, my other really good friend and mentor, Margaret Matthewson. And so on the way to Berkeley or on the way from Berkeley to Glass Butte, we just did gathering and, and that was my big exposure. And then just meeting all those people there. Mm. And I, I totally just fell in love with it and was hooked. And but then I was going to Italy. I was I was a language major and I was leaving to go to Italy. And so mm -hmm. I, I left. I'd already made my commitment. And so I left for a year to go to Italy. And I on, ended up only being there for four or five months because of the Loma Prieta earthquake. Mm -hmm. And I ended up coming back. And then we were living in the mountains outside Santa Cruz just practicing skills. And then the next fall when I got back, we went to one of the early rabbit sticks. Stephen had already gone the year before while I was in Italy. Loved it. And so the next year I went to Rabbit Stick and that was where it really got cemented. Like, cause at Rabbit Stick, that's a more organized gathering in the, in 
the model that most of the gatherings are now where you pay to attend and there's a bunch of instructors and you know the classes and and that was the first one of those style gatherings that was happening even and it was the first one i went to i think it was the third one and that's in idaho it's in rexburg idaho and that still uh -huh. happens that's still i think they just did their 30th and so it's you know it's a it's we or their 35th actually wow time is flying yeah so yeah. i was 19 when i went to my first rabbit stick it was great it was super fun and i was i was hooked like from then on i already was hooked but rabbit stick really cemented it i think last was sort of the seed and was like oh this is going to be really cool but I had to let go of the rest of my life of my other plans, which I didn't really know. I just was learning a language because I loved Italian. Mm -hmm. And I'd gone to Italy as a, as a, in high school. And I wanted to be able to speak with my friends because everything had been in translation. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went back and had that experience, but realized, like, I just really want to dedicate my life to this and living out in the mountains and learning these skills. Mm -hmm. And so the two of us just really focused on it full time. You know, at the gatherings, people do it as hobbies. Some people do it as their work, some of the aspects of it. So there's a, a very diverse variety of people attending the gatherings and everybody mm -hmm. has their own ways they integrate what they learn at the skills events into their lives but um at a young age we were really immersing ourselves and so within a couple of years we were starting to be asked to teach things and starting getting ready to write the book on buckskin and um people really so with you know i'd only been going to the gatherings for five years i was i was under 25 years old i was only 23 or 24 and people would show up at the gatherings and be like, oh, you're one of the elders. Like, you, you're like one of the main teachers. And it would be like, well, I'm, only, I'm really young, actually. But it was, we immersed ourselves. And so we got pretty yeah. skilled pretty quickly. And um, and that just, it, and that definitely changed the course of my life. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So working within that. You just mentioned rabbit stick, and for the people that are listening that don't know about the um, the different skills gatherings, maybe we could just flush out some of the opportunities that exist in that, because you, that's how you really became able to come onto it so much more. And for me too, I I feel like I was I met you, and that was really my segue into oh, this is a world <laughs> that exists, and taking your classes and having you come do workshops and having my son do it and things like that. But then I also went to the Buckeye Gathering when it started happening in Northern California, and so there's there's this whole world of people that get together to practice these skills, and it's not it's not just on the West Coast, and however, that there are several here on the west coast of the United States. Yeah, we have a concentration of gatherings on the west coast, I think, because we have a, it's great weather, number one, I think, and then, um, so it extends the seasons that we can have these outdoor events, right. and we just have a, a lot of interest here. So the Buckeye Gathering is one that I was involved in when it began, and I'm forgetting which year we're on now, but you know, it was a while back. Mm -hmm. um, it was one of the more newer gatherings, more more recent gatherings, yep. so it's it's definitely not the newest there's every year there's a few more that pop up and then some of them fall away because it's something yeah. it's a lot to put one on and so a lot of them have been going on for over 30 years now but some of them you know went on for five or six years and then people stopped doing them so there's a network I call it a, a we what we're a far-flung village where we're, we span like across the whole United States but also even into Europe in some ways and other countries people come from countries all around the world to attend these but the majority of them are people from the United States and they're all over the country and we're a far-flung village and people come together at these little events and then they go away and take the seeds that are planted at the events and practice skills at home 
or don't practice skills at home, whatever your choice is. Just do it at the event. Yeah, and then some people even get meet the people, get together with the people that they meet at the gatherings. A lot of couples and families have been formed at the gatherings. Certainly. And um and then um get together and have little crafting clubs or skills clubs or, you know, take a take and start schools. And one of the ways of going, one of the nice things about going to a gathering, and when I meet somebody who says, "What class should I take?" I'm really interested in this. Who should I learn from? or what classes are available, I tell them, go to a gathering. Yeah. Because then you meet, you know, there's, depending on the size of the gatherings, there's between 60 and 100 people there who are instructors, and a large number of them have their own schools. Right. And you can go and meet them, see if they're in your area, number one, and then also see if your personalities mix and see if you're, you like their style of teaching. You can take a class from them in a gathering and, and see if it, you click with them rather than paying a bunch of money to go go try to, to learn from somebody and getting there and realizing that, no, maybe I don't like their style because mm. everybody has their own style. Everybody has their own way that they approach things. Everybody has their own beliefs. Right. Everybody has their own sort of reason they're teaching. And, and we are an eclectic mix of people yeah. and everybody <laughs> is different. And that's what I love about the gatherings is everybody um, is allowed to express themselves. And so you bond with the people and you, you just instinctually or naturally group with the people that you, that you get along the best with. And it's not like, right. you know, you don't like these other people, but you find the people that you, you jive with the best, that you grew, you know, that you want to be with and that you that you feel like you can learn well from. And at a gathering, uh, you know, there's the overarching umbrella of this is a, a skills gathering, but then there's all these different camps. Like there's the archery folks and then there's the flint nappers, like you mentioned. There's the friction fire people. There's the cordage folks. The there's fiber the arts, the basketry Raw people, hiders. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. basketry. There's, uh, you know, hunting techniques. There's plant gathering, there's medicine, there's yeah. so very many different yeah. ways to have your in. Yes, exactly. And where you can find and you can pop between each one of them, or you can just really sink into one of them and make like, this is where my, this is where my focus is going to be either this week or for my life. Even though as an organizer, we try to bring in each one of those and find we try to find that we have a good balance, right? we're really not super in control of who's coming as instructors. And it's what the instructors that are there, they're the ones that create and, and define what's going to be offered. Right. And so, you know, and that, and that's always shifting. And, and, and when people, sometimes instructors are people that have been attend, attending the gatherings for several years and they look around and maybe there's a hole, there's a, a gap, there's something that's not being offered. Mm -hmm. And then that's what they'll start teaching in order to fill that. So it's got a really natural evolution around it mm -hmm. and it does feel very balanced and you, you really can sort of go, and find something that's going to interest you, even people that have really no interest in camping or getting dirty or really even in the ancestral skills, they might come and find something that they absolutely love and they just drop in and they have a totally modern life, but they love to weave. Or, and right. they'll just drop in at the weaving area and the fiber arch area and they'll stay there the whole time. They'll yeah. even come in with a camper. They may even like stay in a motel or a hotel in town, you know, but they are totally welcome there as well. And so it's, and then there's the people who come and, you know, completely sleep have, on the ground, sleep on the ground <laughs> on and have a bedroll and, yeah. or, you know, that bring all of their yeah. like stuff that has no modern materials. And so there's a really large variety of people, which is what I love. And we learn how to coexist for a year or for not for a year, but for a week. Right. And we, we learn how to, and we, and then we get to know each other really well because then we're, we see each other the next year at the same time, because most mm -hmm. of the events happen on an annual basis. Right. And as more and more of are happening, some people now go to two or three a year. Um, you know, as an instructor, I, there's been periods in my life where I've gone to like seven or eight because that was my job. But there's been times in my life when I've been really on the road. Because you're in my high demand. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's, um, yeah, and some people make the full circuit. They go to every single one that they can. 
And you I can, want to do that someday. Yeah, it, 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 it would be really fun. Yeah. I haven't ever done the full, full circuit. But kind of an immersive year of learning. Yes. Yeah. And I've always dreamed about going to the East Coast and doing a circuit of the East Coast gatherings. Oh, yeah. Because that would be a whole different group of people that yeah. I've met, individuals that have crossed over that have come to our West Coast gatherings. Right. So I feel like I would like have a certain number of people I would know, but it would be a a whole bunch of populations. And then each gathering has its own personality. Yes. Depending on who's organizing it and the community in that area, because they're very community supported. And so it, it's it's really fun to go to different ones and check it out. And and now that I'm, I am trying to be more grounded, so my hope is that I'll be going to two or three a year. And I'm hoping to rotate which ones I go to, to be able to keep in touch with all these different people that I know from, from so many of them. Your community. Yeah, my community, yeah. Yes, this a little teaser. Um, the very first class that I ever took was about brain tanning buckskin. And in our next segment, you're going to talk about that topic some more. Yes. <laughs> Today's PSA is about your book, Buckskin, The Ancient Art of Brain Tanning. And you actually have released this book some years back um, and with Stephen, and now you're working on an update and a newer edition, if you will. Yeah, it, it's sort of a, um, how do you say it? We weren't planning on making a new edition, uh-huh. but when we went to go reprint it, it's almost four years ago now, which is hard to believe, um, we, we suffered sort of the ill effects of this transfer of technology. You know, technology is always adapting. That's the core of what we're doing. Right. Um, but when the printing industry went from old school using film and printing plates into the digital form that it is now, our book was originally on the film and the printer we were using destroyed those film flats. Oh. And so when I went to go reprint four years ago, I found out there is no master for the book. And if mm-hmm. we're going to reprint it, we have to digitize it. And so, you know, sort wow. of in the process of trying to do that, you're like, oh, well, I want to change a few things. And yeah, yeah. it's really hard to just stick with something that was published. I mean, it was in 97 it was published. So, yeah, it's, you know, over 20, 25 years ago. It's So there's like, oh, we need to update this. Oh, we need to do this. And also that that film version was the only master's. Well, the original photos, I can't even find all of them because oh, wow. they, they had been transferred into film. And that was destroyed with the flats. And so wow. we're actually missing some photos that I, I can't find and I can't find the film form. And so we've had to retake some photos and there's certain ones we want to retake because we think it'll be better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've learned a lot now and I'm getting way better at layout and design. So I think it's going to be a great book, but it, that's why a lot of people are like, why has it not been reprinted in four years? It's out of print. Right now, if you go to Amazon.com, apparently they're going for $150 a piece. So cause it's ticket a, item, it's yeah. a, I don't know if anybody's buying them at that, but they're listing uh-huh. them at that. And so um, we're getting really close. It's been a long process of trying to get this digitized, finding everything. And then being the kind of people that Stephen and I both are is we like to do everything for ourselves because that's what we do is we do our own stuff. So we do our own technology and the ultimate DIY. Yeah, the ultimate <laughs> DIY. And even when it comes to computers, and fortunately, yeah. I've always learned computer programs pretty easily. But I don't want to pay somebody else to do my layout for me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pay somebody else to do all these things. I don't have the money, number one, but I also would then lose control of the creative process. process. Yeah. And so um, it's been an it's been an adaption just even getting a computer big enough to do this. My old computer was failing a couple of years ago and finally got a new one. And all the programs that I used to use are now different and changed and they're all online. And so just keeping up with all that technology, um, that learning curve is pretty steep and 
and just having time and you know shifting and life and yeah. but it is so close to being done people have been holding on people have been back ordering now for three years wow i keep trying i have a, a mailing list i'm about to send out a thing to everybody like we're really close i said that two months ago and then the last two months i haven't touched it because family shifts and life and passings and illness is just like taking so much of my attention mm. but um I'm really starting this month. February is dedicated to the buckskin book. Hopefully nothing is going to take my attention away. And I'm hoping that by the end of February, early March, we're actually going to have it. I have a printer lined up. We're so by the time this podcast airs, <laughs> probably about the time this podcast, is people airing, will be able to go get their own copy. Go get own copy. <laughs> it's coming. It's going to be beautiful. Nice. It's going to be awesome. There's also going to be a digital form of it. So people can download it and oh, nice. do that style too. And hopefully there will be a lot of video support and links where people can even watch videos and, you know, I think it's going to be a great thing once it's out and people have been really patient, but, and, um, you know, in the process of learning all these technologies and how to lay things out, the practice, cause it's such a, it's a big volume. It's a tome. It's like, it's a big book and there's a lot of, to it. Yeah. There's a lot to it. And a ton of people have learned, um, how to tan from it. And we've been, we've gotten really great feedback that people, even without taking a class or having other stuff have figured it out from that book. Mm. And, um, it's a big project. And so I've also, been relaying out our smaller titles and making them better and learning how to do the layout and learning how to digitize things and learning how to make like online publications. And so I've, I've redone all the handbooks as well. There's you the, have several little have booklets too. There's a lot of them. There's the, so you have a dead animal, our most popular and catchy title. And then there's, which is sharpening. how to deal with that, right? If you're going to, yeah. if you find an animal or whatever, yeah, yeah, however you come upon it, that you can then you know, use its hide, harvest it for meat, use the different bones, like you break it down animal by animal. Yeah. So, so you didn't have a dead, excuse me. So you have a dead animal is a um, tiny little handbook, but it's basically what, how you take an animal that you find or that you hunt that's dead, you know, even if your chicken gets killed by a coyote or something, right. how you have a dead animal, what you need to do in order to have it not rot. Like it's what you need to do to break it down to get everything stable. So it's not so much about what you do with the hide. It's not so much about how you cook the meat it's a little bit, but um, it's, it's basically how you get everything stable Yeah. And, and how you can make it so that you can then go forward. And then the buckskin book has several chapters that take you deeper into using, like using the bones and using the tallow and, you know, so, and using the highs of course. And so it's, it's a, it's a tiny little tome and I'm, you know, that one is our first one that's digitally available on the website. So you can download that one. And then there's a new one that I've written, Nutty About Bay, which is about using the bay laurel nuts to make a, a beautiful thing. And then the recent a delicious one, confection, a delicious confection, a delicious stimulating confection. Yes. That's very tasty. And um, wild food, wild food, definitely a big thing. That's I'm always trying to push wild food on people. Yeah. And so um, the most recent one is in order to develop my online school program. I had to come up with a handbook that I've always wanted to write that comes with the kit. And so I, I laid the whole thing out and actually had it printed with the printer that's going to print the buckskin book. So now I've been through that process of working with the printer digitally, which mm -hmm. was, I'm really glad I did it with a little process, a little project because mm -hmm. some of the miscommunications and mistakes, if they had happened with the buckskin book, they would have been pretty big. And now I feel like, okay, you had your we, practice run. we did our practice <laughs> run. <laughs> it was only a little book. It was only a thousand of them and it's only a tiny little thing. And so, but that little handbook is really sweet and it's available on the website as well. And it's full color and it's, it's the instructions no, they're great. for all these projects. They're great books. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'm feeling like we're really there, right? What's going on right now is 
the text, the final text is getting rewritten and the photos are all in, all of that is done. That's all been half toned and digitized and looks good, but it's the drawings. There's tons of um, pen and ink drawings that we did with rapidiographs on vellum. And the, the, the challenging thing is that at the time we hand wrote all of the text on the drawings themselves. Oh wow! And when I've been scanning those and trying to like work with them to make them look good, it's so challenging to to have that text in there to transfer it. Yeah. And I am like, I am almost at this point of like maybe I should just block out all of that text and and actually make type it in type it like actually make type there right. and just put it on. But the handwritten text is so cool, and I mean I spent weeks and weeks and weeks hand inking all of that. Mm. So it's wow. it, but it's really challenging. Like all the little circles inside the R's and the A's and like yeah. they you know it's just been it's taken a ton of time so the illustrations are in the process of being they're all scanned i found a good scanner that got them done and um they're in the process of being like made into something that looks good and then they'll be plopped into that text and it's almost done it's really close i'm really excited about the second edition yeah. <laughs> The process you just described sounds big <laughs> and you're really, you're bringing all of this paleo technology into a modern, you're shifting to a modern technology to help convey these ancient arts. Um, but you haven't just been doing that with your book. You've also been doing it with all of your online presence. So would you share about all the various ways that people can learn about these, these awesome paleo technology skills if they're not able to see you in person? Oh, absolutely. And, and that's really especially with COVID the last couple of years, that's been speeding this whole thing up. But, right, right. But even um, before COVID, I was trying to um, update my website because it had gotten on a, an, a platform that went extinct and it hadn't been updated in years and mm. I'd been really wanting to do it. So now it's got a new platform. It's being kept up to date and I think it's really exciting. It looks good. So paleotechnics.com is a great place to go to link to everything else that's happening there. There's a blog that I've been adding some things to. Once the Buckskin book is done, I really hope to make that a really good thing where I can flesh out my history, share things about what friends of mine are doing, like really sort of like, I see the blog as a place that I could link people with other people in the world of, mm -hmm. of all these ancestral living skills. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really excited about writing more on that, but I keep not doing it because I'm working on the Buckskin book, which is this huge endeavor. Yeah. But um, in order to support that effort in writing, and especially with COVID and some of my work going away, I started a Patreon page. Mm -hmm. So I do have monthly subscribers so people can subscribe and give me money um, on a level and, and you get given digital access to the books and the Buckskin book will definitely be a perk in there if you become a Patreon subscriber. So there's, you know, there's, there's gifts you get given for giving me a regular monthly stipend that I can sort of depend on that I know that's coming in. So that's on Patreon, which is a, if people don't know the platform, is a great way of supporting artists in their creative endeavors. Mm -hmm. um, there's Instagram, of course, and Facebook. So I, there's a Facebook page and an Instagram page and a Twitter page. And I try to post about events and anything new and books coming out and just letting people know. And I post on all those about friend stuff as well. So not just my own, but mm -hmm. I try to use it as a way that people can find out more about what they're doing. Um, trying to do the digital the digital versions of the book, of the handbooks and things so people can instantly access some of the small information or small publications about it with information and then the paleo store because when I that was a big shift for me is I'd always had the paleo store there but it was just really basic and I didn't even have online ordering or anything but with COVID it was sort of like oh I need to make online ordering because I've got a whole 
inventory of all my friends' books that I carry around with me right. to every event and every right. workshop, and I've got super you know, comprehensive, beautiful, super comprehensive, beautiful things. Options, yeah. And um, I have them all sitting in my storage, and I usually am selling them and moving them forward. And so I redid the whole um, Paleo store. So each book now has um, it was what I did at the beginning of COVID two years ago when I just spent a lot of time on the computer. And there's um, the reason why I have all these books there, little snippets about the authors, the relationship, their scans of like the table of contents in the front and the back. So I'm, I'm hoping that it's a place that people can find out a lot about the books. Mm -hmm. Then I also just did a blog that was the Paleo books, it was the Paleo bookstore story. So it's a blog about why I each have each of those titles, because they're all titles that are either written by friends and colleagues of mine or somebody I have a relationship with or a few that I just think they're great books. And you have I, a really phenomenal bookstore. I yeah. remember right after I released my, my book, we were doing a craft fair pre-COVID and we happened to or maybe we asked to have our booths next to each other. <laughs> and so I got to spend the whole craft fair eating yummy baynut truffle things that you'd made and also perusing your vast literary world. The bookstore really is this opportunity to have a virtual gathering place. It has all the different skills offerings in um, in book format. So, you know, if you wanted to go to a class, quote unquote class for, buck, you know, brain tanning buckskin, then you could get your book about brain tanning buckskin and really take an immersive dive into that. And it it's becoming more and more an opportunity too to have a virtual meeting place because of because largely out of necessity during COVID, but also just I think the next generation, like my son's era, for instance, um, my son's been to many primitive skills gatherings, but the way that information is conveyed in that generation is so virtual. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. So having that presence is is really important, and more and more and more of the the practitioners of these skills are developing their websites and are making their websites more accessible. Um, like the Society of Primitive Technology website has been recently upgraded and you can look at all the back issues. I think I referenced that before. Um, but it is through all of these digital ways, digital formats and digital platforms and social media as well, as much as, you know, we do. It's really funny that we're all these like, practitioners of ancient living skills and then we're communicating on Facebook. Online. <laughs> Online. <laughs> but it's how, because we don't have the gatherings or yeah. as people are getting older and not able to go to as many gatherings, um, you know, things happen, you can't go to a gathering, and it really is allowing us to, to touch in and keep up with, with what's going on in people's lives. Because when we were more regularly going, we would just through osmosis in the in the community, even if you didn't drop in deeply with one person at an event, you still sort of got the wit, got the wind of what was going on in their life. And so social media is serving that right now for people, because hmm. we are, you know, finding out what's happening with each other. And, and then even we get to see each other's classes, and we get to see what other people are offering. And, and so right. I think it is important for us to connect digitally as when we can't physically physically communicate. And then, you know, also at a gathering, sometimes you meet somebody who lives all the way across the country you and they only touch. come to that gathering one time and they don't right. tend to come, they don't plan to come for another five years or 10 years. And so it's it's great to have the option of the digital connection to, to, to maintain those those relationships and to maintain that, that community feeling, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as the events are starting to happen again there's also that it's just like I love all the options mm -hmm. <laughs> I love to have the option of you know for people that perhaps have no reference point for paleo technology 
for them to be able to go onto the website, look at your bookstore, get an idea, and then kind of enter the world, mm-hmm. you know, to read something, to to have an entry point. And then there's everything to then, you know, the people that are going to all the gatherings and are on a circuit and, and have a, a vast wealth of knowledge that they bring. You know, it's like we need to have all the forums accessible. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Like, I mean, when I when I was writing the history of the paleo bookstore, I was going back to the beginning is like the gatherings was all there was and, right. and there weren't that many books. And we'd have to be going to libraries and finding old titles and old texts that you can now just find online. And like we that was our only link. And then there would be five or six months until the next time that we could get together with people. Mm-hmm. And there was no way, there was no medium, there was no way that we could do stuff in the interim that wasn't just personally experiential. We did tons, but there wasn't a way to, to communicate. I mean, we could have phone right. calls with people, right? I mean, there wasn't even emails. Wasn't it was just like, there wasn't yeah. cell phones, there were yeah. no texts. And yeah. so, so um, you didn't tend to call people. You could call people if you did, but it wasn't mm-hmm. like the way that you learned, you right. know? Right. And so, um, you could call for quick questions and stuff, but that was really it. It was just telephone. And so we, uh, I really see where it's, it's, it's so much better now and it's so much easier now. And I think people who are, who are first getting into this, that have all of this at their, their fingertips, they really don't remember. They, and maybe they don't need to, that it used to be really challenging to find the most basic information mm-hmm. and it would take us longer to learn because of that. And it would take us longer to connect. Because and so now we had to seek it out and we, and yeah. it would be like, you seek it out and be like, oh, it's a, this time period. We got to wait till we can do this thing. And, um, that's and, totally the blessing of this era. Oh, is it is very much. The information yeah. is available. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's there and, and this media or the, the digital stuff and you can express an interest in something or have an interest. And through doing an internet search, you can find all these people. And eventually the best way to actually learn this stuff is to in person, find a practitioner, find a really good book, find a practitioner, spend time with them. You go back to that. And in doing that, you might go completely offline and go out on a two week survival course or a two week living course or a two year experiment (laughs) or something. But, but the, I I definitely do see the digital media as a way of letting warm more people know that this world exists Mm -hmm. because it was really hard to even find the world before and find any evidence that it existed. Some people hate that that it is, you know, that people can find it through the digital media now. Mm. And they, they were like, oh, it was so great when nobody knew that what we were doing. I really do feel like it's a good thing that people can find us and they can get tapped in. And and some of the, you know, some of many of my colleagues and students have been on the Alone show mm-hmm. several times. And that is, you know, it's a reality TV show, but it's a little bit different. And I definitely have more respect for it than I have for most of the other reality TV shows that um, because of that, where people are, are getting tuned in. And oh, I wanted to mention that one of my colleagues and she was I initially taught her how to tan hide she came to a brain tanning class when she was 18 but Wonia Tebolt who's been on the alone show she now has a whole online world world and course where anybody in the entire world can do really good in-depth experiential things and she's out of need she had just come off the alone show she was developing this in-depth program that she wasn't going to do online when COVID started and she really, she had and, all these people interested and she had to go online. Yeah. So she's done an incredible job of taking everything online and um, just like major kudos to her. And her book is also going to be coming out really soon called Buckskin Revolution. And I'm super honored that I wrote the foreword to her Buckskin book. Oh, so her Buckskin Revolution book. And so it's, um, you know, it's, it's possible. It's possible that our two books are going to be coming out around the same time, too. Mm-hmm. It'll be really fun. And hers is on buckskin clothing and um, using buckskin to make clothing. And she's just taken that art to an extremely good level. And she's an awesome person. So anybody who is listening to this from far away, 
that really wants to get in from around the world anywhere that needs to use the digital media, I would highly recommend looking at Buckskin Revolution mm -hmm. as the way to totally. just tap into and a really interactive program. It's it's really good. I attended a bunch in the first year, and it's, she's doing a great job. So, she's awesome. I met yeah. I actually met her at Spirit Weavers. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Winnie is Winnie is the best. Yeah. yeah. So wonderful. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you dropping in. I just love the wealth of information that you bring. And since you're kind of my mentor in this particular arena too, I feel like it's exciting to bring you forward and to highlight the offerings that you're making, that you have made, that you're continuing to make, and that you're going to be creating into the future. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking to you and connecting and having this chat. So thank you so much for thinking of me and inviting me to be on your podcast. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Positive Fantastic Podcast. I'm Maureen Atura, and you can reach me by checking out my website, www.maureenatura.com. You can read about upcoming author events or sign up for my email list to stay up to date with the content that I create. If you go to maureenatura.com slash thepositivefantastic, you can link directly to any of the podcast episodes that have already been published and see short summaries describing each episode. I'm on social media and you can follow me on Facebook on my page Maureenatura Author and you can follow me on Instagram at Author Maureenatura. Check out my channel at youtube.com slash Natura to see a video of tomorrow's paleotechnics programs. You can reach Tamara Wilder by going to her website, www.paleotechnics.com. You can support her efforts to bring paleotechnology to all by visiting and becoming a member of her Patreon account at www.patreon.com paleotechnics. You can follow her on social media such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by checking out her handle at paleotechnics. Special appreciation to Copper Woman for her song, We Are Ancient, We Are Now, at the beginning of this episode. For more information about Copper's music, you can visit www.copperwoman.com. This episode of the Positive Fantastic Podcast has been brought to you on the new moon, and I hope you'll join us on the next full moon for more adventures and how humans can thrive. Cheers, and may your journey to reconnect to the skills that unite us all as humans be fantastic. Fantastic.